Welcome back to the Focus on Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Preston. And I'm Jason. Jason, it was fun today to stray a little bit, a little bit outside the world of row crops. Yeah, today we spoke with Tara Bonert, who's a business development manager with NEDAP Livestock Management. I thought this was really a great conversation, Preston, and, and it was interesting to learn the amount of data collected about dairy cattle, I think might rival what the average farmer collects on an acre. Yeah, it's fascinating to hear, you know, how technology has evolved in that industry, especially since we're so familiar with row crops. I mean, from Fitbits that the cows wear around their necks and track untold metrics from that all the way to, you know, heads up displays and augmented reality goggles. Really, the technology is progressing very rapidly in that industry. Yeah, don't forget about the robot cows. The robot cows were interesting. Rather than us talk more about it, let's just hear from Tara. So welcome to the podcast, Tara. To kick things off, could you tell us a little bit about your background, educational history, and what you're up to now? Yeah, I grew up in the Quad City area on the Illinois side of the river and like to kind of coin myself a first-generation dairy farmer. Um, my dad worked off the farm and came from that era where hard work could actually get you into agriculture and farm ownership. So uh, he always uh, nightlifed as a farmer and had row crops and hogs. So we farrowed to finish through the 90s when the hog market got really bad. Um, but our intro into the dairy, which is where my passion is, started in the early 80s when we simply bought a cow from the sale barn for a 4-H project. And it's one of those stereotypical 4-H projects that we're going to have five cows, 10 cows, 40 cows, 100 cows. And now my family milks 500 dairy cows. So wow. Um, wow. we veered away from the hog side and really went passionately onto the dairy industry. Um, I went away to the University of Illinois and got an animal sciences business degree. I know I heard your podcast before, so I know we're a little line eyes. Um, so yeah, I graduated from there in December of 2002. And at that point, uh, you know, younger in my life, I really wanted to be a veterinarian and kind of pivoted early in college that I, I was more interested in large animals and small animals. All I ever wanted to do was farm full time. But at that point in time, our, our, our farm wasn't large enough with two older brothers for me to be able to come back to the farming operation full time. So I was kind of faced with that reality that I was going to have to find a job. And I got incredibly lucky to be able to, to go right into the dairy industry and um, essentially spend most of my career here in Illinois, which is not a dairy rich state. So that was, yeah, kind of really, really fortunate for me. Yeah, that's amazing. We, we got to have some hogs in the 90s, too. And, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily look back on those days fondly, but <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, you know, the, the, all livestock has its own sets of challenges. So then you got into the dairy and that's that's a little bit different scheduling, I guess. Yes, it is for sure. So tell us about what you're doing now. Yeah, I, so right out of college, I started with a genetics company, an AI company, and got to focus on growing and developing their Jersey program because unlike like 90% of dairy farmers, we don't milk the black and white ones, we milk jerseys. Um, so I became um, involved in the genetic side of that industry and spent just shy of 16 years with that company. So right out of college, I, uh, I kind of embedded myself in a company and um, spent a lot of time through their elite account manager program. So I did dairy consulting um, a lot in the Western U.S., but I was also very fortunate to do a, quite a bit of uh, worldwide international travel consulting with dairy farmers around the globe. 
Um, and then I pivoted two and a half, almost three years ago now onto the technology side of it, which is, I'm always very upfront with people that I work for a technology company, but I'm not a technology person. I'm the cow person on the team. So my role with NeedApp is to essentially, you know, take what our technology does and how can we apply it onto the, onto the dairy farms? So how can it be easily understandable and actionable and not let people get totally bogged down on the technical side of it? So we have, I have some coworkers that are the technical gurus on it and they kind of back me up and support that side of the business. So we're going to obviously get into some interesting territory, I think, here today when we start talking about the monitoring of dairy animals. But I don't know that NEDAP is a household name. Can you tell us a little bit about that company? Yeah, I honestly had not heard of the company either, but we just celebrated 92 years as a company. So oh, wow. we're, kind of, oh, wow. we're one of the oldest in the space that we're in, but the model that NEDAP has is we don't actually sell direct to end users. We sell through business partners. So all the major milk equipment manufacturers, except um, De Laval, for example, use NEDAP components, but it's all okay. within their own system. So they brand it themselves. So that's why they haven't heard from us. But when we first started, originally, we manufactured just for um, other businesses. And then a few years later, they decided to start actually developing their own technologies. So NEDAP was a pioneer in RFID technology, which really, when you look at um, all the sensor technologies or data that we have available at all, um, the cornerstone of it is reliable and accurate animal identification. So that was kind of where we got kickstarted into it. And we do things... Um, like milk meters and separation and routing and animal IDs that you would find in milking systems. Uh, and then the part of the business that I work on is the animal censoring, the animal, um, some people will call it a Fitbit, but it's the animal tracking wearable technologies. So we sell a collar that actually goes on the cow that can measure, measure them. We definitely want to get into that because I think that's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, row crop farmers are familiar with the amount of data that's captured on their farms and on, in their fields. And I think I was talking to Preston beforehand, and, and you know, we, we can definitely get into this. I think there's an awful lot of data collected um, about dairy cattle and, and some specific things that are done that are very interesting. But let's go kind of to the beginning a little bit and look at the history, if, if you don't mind, before we get into that. Tell us about the history of the dairy industry in the U.S. I think it's changed a lot over the past 100, 150 years. At one point, a lot of people had a cow just to, to get by, and now, now we have a lot more cattle on a dairy and yeah. a lot fewer dairies, right? Yeah, and true. And if you look at a country like India, I mean, they still are very much so everyone has a cow, and they actually have the largest dairy population in the world in that country, but the dairy oh, really? size is incredibly small. Yeah, India is the largest dairy country. Um, U.S. ranks uh, right in there behind them, but it's very, very different. You're right. Everyone used to have a cow to be self-sufficient. And um, when you look at the consolidation that the poultry and pork industry has gone from, through, dairy was kind of an exception to that until more recent years. So for example, uh, if you look at the early 2000s, we had you know 80,000 dairy um, registered dairy herds in the country that were shipping milk. If you went back into the 90s, we probably had close to 130,000 dairy farms that were producing milk. Uh, but then if you go to 2021, for example, we're under 30,000 licensed dairy farms wow. in the country right oh. now. Uh, 29,000 some dairy farms. But the interesting part of that is, is that our population of dairy cows has not diminished at all. We were at 9.1 million dairy cows in the U.S. And last year we were at 9.4 million dairy cows in the U.S. So 
while we are losing dairy farm total numbers, our cow population and our milk production actually continue to increase. So it's probably similar to what you guys have seen on the row crop side of the business. I, I know growing up in Illinois, I, I know enough people involved in that, that I see a lot of similar trend lines probably between our two industries. Random question. Have you noticed geographical changes? You, you said the numbers have Definitely. Changed. Yeah. It's, what does that you know, look like? I, I always hate to say the consolidation of the dairy industry, but that's somewhat the reality. Family farms are always going to be in existence and there's plenty of them. But if you look at where the shift in population has gone from, the East and Southeast have lost the greatest number of dairy farms and the Midwest and particularly the West are the ones that are picking up speed. Um, if you look at some of the herd sizes of herds, for example, in New Mexico or Idaho or any of those states that are rapidly growing, the herd sizes are just so much larger um, than what can be obtained in other places. The Midwest is a logical choice because we have access to feed and dairy cows take a lot of feed to make milk. Um, but regulation isn't always the most friendly in some of those states. Uh, the wide open states of the plains are really attractive. There's a, some really good milk plants out there. Uh, California, because of regulation, is kind of a stagnant to dying dairy industry. When you look at water rights, again, dairy takes a lot of feed and a lot of water. Um, so we kind of have to chase the water source a little bit as well. So it's been a long time since a new uh, dairy has been permitted in California, and there probably will not be any new builds in a state like that. Oh, wow. um, but, you know, people also, a lot of the milk goes East. So a lot of the milk plants, they'll look to be next to rail yards um, or different transportation highways to make sure they can still get the product out east. You know, if you look at 2021, the average herd size in our country right now sits at about 320 cows. Uh, if you go back to 2001, the average herd size was 119 cows. So, oh, wow. you know, 300 cows is still relatively small, but um, most of the dairies that I personally work with would be like 3000 plus cows. That's what I was going to ask. You mentioned that in some of those Western states, there's some pretty big dairies. What, what kind of numbers are we talking about for like a really large dairy? Um, yeah, I mean, you've got dairies that'll be 10,000, 20,000 cows. Okay. Um, some of that wow. you got to look at, you know, it's, it's one dairy, but they have multiple locations. So maybe they have two or three locations mm -hmm. that are relatively close to each other. Um, so you'll have some of that going on too. You mentioned we're the second largest producer behind um, India. It, cow okay, numbers. yeah, cow numbers. cow number. Okay, yes. I was just with the shelf life of dairy products. What percentage goes to export versus domestic consumption? Mm. Do I'm we export ex a lot? We do. Know? We export a okay. lot of powder, and then okay. we do export uh, a fair amount of cheese. So we're not gotcha. exporting any fluid by any means, but our powder okay. and cheese definitely goes to a lot of other countries. I see. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, so, it is so one a of the product, so we have to move it and sell it fast. <laughs> yeah, for sure. There's obvious benefits when we talk about more cows in a given area, you know, you gain efficiencies. Can we talk about some of those, the challenges? I mean, one of the cl clear challenges when, when every farmer used to have a cow, um, that's, that's every farmer has to go out at, you know, five o'clock in the morning and milk his cow and come back again at five o'clock in the evening or whatever it may be. And yeah. they're really, you know, they're really tied to that. But what other kind of challenges or, or, or what have we gained, I guess, from, from these larger herds? Yeah, I mean, you obviously have efficiencies and scale. So for a lot of those larger dairies, they can get better contracts on their feed that they're purchasing. They can get, you know, potentially milk contracts because of the volume that they're producing. 
Um, there's always efficiencies in working with larger scales and larger numbers, but there's also a lot of challenges. And the number one challenge we face as an industry is labor. Um, by far, we rely very much so on an international labor force to milk cows three times a day, and somebody has to show up and do that work. And, you know, unlike if you look at, you know, the, the produce where people can rely on um, seasonal visas, we, we can't do that because we're a 365 day operation. So we've had a lot of challenges with the border and with uh, immigration. You know, you mentioned regulations a couple of times and you mentioned immigration, you mentioned the border. I mean, the dairy industry is probably one of the aspects of agriculture that is the most influenced by governmental decisions and governmental regulations, it sounds like. Yeah, it it definitely is one of those. Yeah. Interesting. Let's start talking about what your company sells, what you represent. So you have a number of things, but one thing you can do is monitor cows. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, when we monitor our cows with the wearable technology, there's three things that we're measuring. We're measuring their activity, um, and then we're also measuring their eating times. And then the big one that we're measuring is also rumination. So rumination is the newer component that is an industry we've probably only been able to do since like maybe 2014, 2015. Um, But that's given us a lot of health insights into what's going on with the animals. So originally you would invest probably in a a system like ours just because you wanted to be able to detect cows that were in estrus. And and that's, you know, a job that takes a lot of time. Um, The biggest value that a lot of producers see now is our ability to, to, health and diagnose animals that are sick before we see visual symptoms that they're sick. Is that, is so that is an example all... of one of the wearables behind you? On, yes. On the yeah, no, yeah, okay. that, that's, that's the, that's yeah, the, that's the wearable. Yeah. And that's the U S market is one of the last markets that's really started to adopt this sort of technology. If you go to Europe or if you go to Canada or a lot of other countries, they're very technology and citric. They've applied a lot of technology to their businesses. The U S is probably just in the last year, year and a half that dairies have really started to pick up steam and looking at investing in technology. We just really historically have not done things like that. Tara, you mentioned collecting data on the cows. Obviously we think about that, but, but are these also used for other purposes? For instance, individualized rations, say for a cow or, you know, that sort of thing. It can be. Yeah. The, the, the tags that we have, we actually pioneered the first automated feeding station in the seventies. And that was pivotal when you look at milk production from the beginning of time, because when you look at milk production per cow, the first significant increase we ever saw was when we were able to individually feed cows through that custom individual feeding station. Those are a little bit outdated here in the US now, but that was really a pivotal moment. Um, Our ID tag works in robot situations. And when a robot cow goes in to get milk, she actually gets feed supplemented to her. Um, So really all robot cows are getting individualized feeding and and the, the ID tag allows them to do that. For so the listeners, you say a, could you, I was going to say, could you break down robot cows just for the listeners yeah. who are Yeah, those are the cows that instead of going to your traditional parlor to be milked, uh, dairies now are investing in robots to milk them, which means the cow can essentially go milk herself whenever she wants to. Uh, it's kind of a, a different way to manage. It's kind of the, everything we're looking at now is allowing cows to be cows and the freedom to let them do what they want actually makes you more milk because we all know that a, a happy cow and a well-taken-care-of cow makes the most milk. So if you look at the most labor-intensive thing that we do on dairies, it's that when you milk your cows three times a day, 
you need the employee force to milk your cows three times a day. Yeah. Um, so a lot of dairy, you know, originally the robots were for your family farm. You know, if you milked 60 cows and you did all your row cropping and you did everything, it's a quality of life. You could, one robot can milk 50 cows. So you could, you know, buy a robot to kind of alleviate that. Um, now we're really starting to see larger farms look at robotic technologies. And, um, you know, I know a dairy that has 30 robots that milk their cows. So, I mean, human interaction is still needed. Um, they call them fetch list, for example. If a, if, if a cow doesn't go to get milked within a certain amount of time, you get alarmed and you will need to find that cow and take her to go to go milk herself. But in general, yeah, cows love, love being able to set their own schedule and set their own day. I think this is super interesting because, you know, somebody might hear the term robot cow and they're like, oh, I don't want to get my milk yeah. from her. You know, I mean, that that sounds a little scary. But when you that talk about true. it and you present it in that way, it's an it's really an animal welfare thing, which, you know, pretty much everybody can get behind. Right. Yeah. Everything that we do goes back to animal welfare, honestly. You know, how can we give the cow the best life? And I think the consumer resonates with the fact that a happy cow and a well taken care of cow is actually our most profitable cow and the cow who makes us the most milk. So there's um, not treating the animals well as to nobody's benefit because the farmer's the one that loses in that as well, not just the cow. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and that's something that probably a lot of people in the egg industry have known for years that, you know, intuitively people maybe have this impression that animals are mistreated, but that is not to the farmer's benefit to mistreat their animals. I mean, just from a, you know, for one thing, they're probably connected to their animals in a certain way, but also from an economic perspective, nobody wants to harm their livestock that are making them their livelihood. I do a lot of work too with consumer groups or mom groups, schools, and the technology that we sell resonates so well with just your general consumer. Um, you know, when I tell somebody that the, the size of your herd really doesn't matter anymore, because whether you have 10 cows or 10,000 cows, I can tell you what's going on with that cow 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days. I, I know everything that's going on with her. And the ability to see if a cow is sick before visual symptoms, this is it's something I wish I had for my own children. You know, that's the difference between giving your kid a Tylenol or going to prompt care on a Sunday night. Um, you know, if you can ward off and be proactive instead of, you know, always reacting to things that are happening, it's a win-win because now we don't maybe have to use um, antibiotics that have a withdrawal. We can, you know, help that cow defeat it before it turns into something major. And consumers very much so resonate with that. Um, same thing when we talk about robotic milking, consumers really, you know, can resonate with that as well. Um, and then when you look at technology of the future, we have some really cool things in the pipeline that's really going to change the um, people that are involved in agriculture and the people that are working in the dairy industry. So we're not to the point of putting these necklaces on the kids yet. No, unfortunately not. <laughs> My kids will wear them around as a belt, but yeah, I know. We could, we could only tell what's going on. That would be great. But so far it hasn't, yeah. hasn't worked for me. So. <laughs> I was going to ask about the, the kind of the future. Do you have anything before we get to that? I mean, you kind of hinted at some yeah. of these pipeline products. Yeah. Um, obviously, I'm assuming like robotic cows obviously eliminate or reduce the need for a lot of this, um, this workforce that is kind of the bottleneck from a producer standpoint. What other things are exciting in your pipeline? Yeah, we're always improving and making our technology smarter, but we actually have, um, Meetup has a collaboration with Microsoft on the Hulu lenses, which is augmented reality. 
So um, we have a project that's been working on with them for augmented reality glasses that we'll be able to use in the barns. So essentially, if you look at the dairy industry, there's a lot of data and a lot of information that we have to manually record when we're out in the barn. Um, it used to be you wrote it on a clipboard and then you went back in the barn and now we've kind of gravitated to doing a lot of things on tablets and iPhones. Um, but we see that the future will be AR technology where you'll be able to just put on the, the AR goggles and walk out in your barn. And um, there's images that will appear above the animal indicating if she's an estrus, if she's sick. Um, the veterinarian potentially will be able to go into the barn and see what's going on in their pregnancy checking all at the same time. Um, they'll be able to do all their data entry cow side. Um, and it's not necessarily um, reality for my generation, but I strongly feel that like my children's um, generation for sure will be, you know, implementing that into the way that we dairy. And when I go into like middle school classrooms and I show them this, every kid knows about gaming and AR technology, and it really makes them excited. And when we look at the shortage of agricultural labor that we have for the future, um, it's really exciting. I know I heard you guys speak on, you know, the animal sciences slash computer science degree and slash crop sciences degree. But when you look at potentially some of this technology that we have available, there's gonna be a, a lot of potential labor um, into our industry that doesn't necessarily wanna be out in the barn getting dirty, but still will have a valuable place in our industry. That's awesome. When you said AR, the first thing that popped into my mind was a cow wearing goggles. So I'm glad yeah. it went back the other way. Well, if you go on our website, you will probably see the image of a cow wearing the goggles. But yeah, okay. it's 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 really it's just kind of really neat to show futuristically yeah. where we're heading yeah. with technology. And then That's yeah, cool. like say what the what a job on a dairy is going to look like in the future. And it's also like what a job for a veterinarian or a nutritionist. Um, right now we can see group eating patterns and we can see how many cows are eating. We can see when you pushed up your feed, when you delivered your feed, we can see how long a cow stays in the holding pen. We can see all of that stuff. So nutritionists really don't even need to go to the barn and stand around trying to figure that out. They can just open up their phone and, and see everything. And it's really cool because we always say that the source of the truth is the cow. Historically, we're always trying to guess how the cow is doing and how the cow is feeling. And we would use milk production kind of as that gold standard, because if we do everything right, we'll get the milk production. But we're using the cow as the source of our truth and really trying to create the environment that she wants. And she's going to tell us the environment that is best for her. This is really a fascinating topic, I think. And, you know, like Preston mentioned, we always like to look at the future. And I mean, it, it feels like you're, you're already in the future. <laughs> and it's just how far is this going to go? Because this is, this is just really cool learning about how this information is used and what it gains farmers. Do you have a, a metric? I mean, when, when farmers adopt these kind of technologies, are, are they 10% better at, a, at producing milk per cow? Or is there a number like that associated with it? <laughs> It varies by cow. I mean, the number one things to look at is pregnancy creation. And in the US, we're really blessed that we have other tools available to be good at that. So what some dairies are looking at is how it can be more sustainable. Um, you know, maybe instead of using synchronization hormones or something to create a pregnancy, how can we naturally create pregnancies um, and, and different things like that. So every herd has a kind of a different threshold on where they're at and how far we can take them. Um, but for some herds, it's not even 
getting that much better, but it's doing something that's more sustainable for the future. So we have to always be mindful of looking at that too. And, and for some, it's just freeing up a little bit of their time so they can go to their kid's soccer game. I mean, that's the, you know, for a lot of our mid-sized farms, the guy who owns it is the guy who milks the cows, the guy who delivers the feed, the one who, um, you know, is looking at fresh cows and their life is really in that barn 24 hours a day, practically. And we're trying to find ways to give them a better quality of life. And at the end of the day, that probably is going to help our mental health issue that we have in, in agriculture as well. I would assume there's less vacations for dairy farmers versus row crop farmers. I know. Just, I know. My husband works uh, on the row crop side, and it is far <laughs> different the way these businesses work. But we learn so much from row crops. You know, I, you know, I'm living in Illinois and having my husband involved on the other side of the industry. There's been so much technology at your guys' fingertips for so long. And I use that when I talk to my dairy farmers a lot is that, you know, you know, crop farmers are measured in yields and talk about acres, but you have the ability to apply down to, you know, a smaller scale like that. You can do special, you know, your application rates and different things. And that's really what we're doing on cows is we want to manage our cows by exception. At the end of the day, we all get paid in milk yield. So any technology that we implement, there has to be a payoff and that we, we need profitability on it. But when we look at our larger dairy farms, how can we manage by exception? You know, 95% of the cows don't need to be bothered by us. And how can we just handle the ones that do? So I see so many similarities kind of in the way that we're, we're on both sides of the industry and how we're looking at things. And then same thing with a lot of the data that we're, you know, now that we're gathering, it's a lot of the things I heard probably 10 years ago saying, all right, who owns that data now? You know, where's my data going? Who's going to use my data? Mm -hmm. um, our thing is, is that we're providing a lot of data and we need to get it to the most valuable spot for the farmer because there's a lot of different sources of data, but the most powerful data is the collaboration of that data. And it has to be actionable. Nobody has time to look at all the data that's being created out there. So we're very conscious about creating calls to action and easy to easy to understand calls to action because we're dealing with a very, very diverse labor pool. So we need to always think about making things that can be understood by anyone, whether that be visual or numbers or having lots of options out there. Tara, cattle are dairy cattle specifically. I mean, that's a each cow has a very high value relative to other livestock. A lot of times, do you see this technology, you know, as things advance, being relevant, or maybe it's already used in other livestock also? We actually have a pigs division too, so we NEDAP has pigs. I don't work on the pig side of it, but we do. We have a throw to finish years. We have south facilities, and then we also have one for. I'm probably forgetting one, but we, so we do it on the pig side and definitely the future will have some technologies available for the beef side of the industry as well. It's just making sure that it's practical and scalable um, for all those different yeah. industries. Yep. Well, you've already mentioned, I mean, this whole podcast has been future looking. Is there anything else? Are you optimistic when you forecast and consider the future of, of dairy farming? Are you optimistic? And is there any other things, any other things in the horizon that you're excited about? I'm, I'm excited about the future of the dairy industry. I think it's an ever evolving change in the dairy industry, like we mentioned with the consolidation and the larger herd sizes, but I think we also have to focus on the benefits of that as well. Um, you know, and, and, and similar to what you guys are facing is that we have a whole entire world to feed. And when we look at the growing populations, um, you know, we don't get any more land. We don't get any more water than what we have right now. So we all have to be hyper-focused on how we can maximize what we have. 
And the reality of it is, is that a lot of times larger dairies can be more efficient and have more resources available to them to, to rise up to that challenge to feed to feed the future. We certainly applaud anybody who can be self-sufficient, you know, and, and kind of grow and do their own, but I can't even grow tomatoes. So, I mean, I'm definitely relying on other people to feed my family. So at the end, I think I'm, I'm very optimistic about it. And I think we're going to continue to look for ways to bridge that gap with our consumers as well. Um, that's, I think a big difference between animal and crops is that there's a more emotion involved in that when you look at the consumers, because it is an alive animal and people want to feel good about eating or consuming dairy products. So it's always important for us to let people know that the quality of life that they live is, is a good one. Well, Tara, this has been a fascinating conversation. We really appreciate your time here. And for the listeners out there that maybe want to learn a little bit more about some of the things we've talked about, is there a way that they can interact with you or learn more about these topics? Yeah, yeah. NEDAP Livestock Management, we have a website and we're on all the social channels. Um, and then always anyone can always look me up personally as well on um, LinkedIn or any of the other social channels too. Cool. cool. We'll yeah, be sure we'll to link, link all that, that in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and we're, like say, we're a global company, so we pretty much have people in every region of the world. We appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the program hosts or their employer.